0: From Pernalulu, the Southern Highlands, or cruising the Coronation Islands, they're
1: all up listening to Macca
0: on a Sunday morning. They're putting a roof on Mawson's hut.
2: Some years ago on the program, it might have been 10 years, I can't remember, 10 or 12 years ago, I had a couple of calls from people who were losing their pigeons, or the pigeons weren't coming home, and they were, you know, there was all sorts of theories. Disorientation, mobile phones, um, the axis of the earth shifting slightly. Did you encounter any of that?
0: Yes, there's a lot of that, uh, but they are theories Uh, no one really knows, but uh, weather conditions play a lot of havoc with them, storms, hailstones. Feral pigeons, even uh, landing on a silo, will distract a racing pigeon.
2: What do you mean, tell me.
0: Well, if the racing pigeon's been racing for four or five hours and he's getting tired and he sees a couple of feral pigeons going down onto a silo and he thinks, gee, that looks easy, I'll go down there and have a feed and a drink. And then he, he, if he likes it, then he'll stay there. It's as simple as that.
2: So do you lose a lot of pigeons like that? You
0: probably lose about over a, a series of racing, about 20 Shipsbury's weeks you would lose probably 30, 40 pigeons. It's yeah. a really very Catholic on a Sunday morning.
1: Yeah, Macca in the morning turns my week around. He picks me up when I feel down.
3: I wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. The big wets here, at least for some, the dams are full, the rivers run. As one wag
0: said, who shot the El Nino brothers? On Kilto Station, Roebuck Plains, through drought, bushfire, flooding rains, we celebrate Australia on a Sunday morning. My weekly fix,
2: MACA on a Sunday morning. Good morning, welcome to the program. 1300 700 22 apparently El Nino is... Back, well, 80% back, apparently, according to the Bureau, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. I've got lots of things to get to, so let's get to them.
4: Letters, tweets and faxes, we get sacks and sacks
2: And this letter from Frank, Frank Smith says, I leave it to the tender mercies, Ian, of Australia Post to deliver this to you. You had a call a couple of weeks ago complaining about speed cameras being revenue-raising, so I thought I'd like to tell you about my experience. Many years ago, after selling a business, I noticed an ad for speed camera operators. Reasonable pay and only 32 hours a week. Shamefully, I was tempted to sell my soul to the, de- <laughs> to the devil and send off an application. Some weeks later, I received a call from Tenix then contracted to the Victorian government to operate the speed cameras in Victoria. I was advised that they were conducting interviews at the Blazing Stump Hotel. I thought at least this is starting off the right way. When I arrived, there were about 60 people all applying for the one available position. (laughs) This gets better. The 10X rep addressed the group and stated, Now the first thing I have to say is that speed cameras are not revenue raising. After about 20 minutes, when the laughter subsided, he was able to continue. He also mentioned that operators needed good PR skills as motorists often like to stop for a chat. (laughs) What, after after being banged? Fortunately, I was unsuccessful in getting the job and still have my integrity intact. I also heard a caller say that when she worked for OTC, they were the first organisation in Australia to receive Wang Computers. I was working for Telecom about the same time, and we also received Wang computers and were suddenly inundated with overly enthusiastic American support staff. All the reps from Wang were proudly wearing badges, <laughs> claiming, I'm a wanger. We politely pointed out that Wang was very close to a pejorative term used almost daily, and funnily enough, they turned up the following day without the badges. Keep up the good work, <laughs> Says Frank Smith from Oakland. Good on you, Frank. That's a ripper. And speaking of pigeons, which we sort of were, this came in a while ago, and I've read it before, but it's it bears repeating. Owen Henney sent this in about an article he'd read in the 2012 issue of the Smithsonian Institute magazine. The author was one Laura Helmuth, and she mentioned at first the winners of the first Olympics, that's in Olympia, back in BC. I think 774 was the first one. I'm not sure. The winners were announced by Homing Pigeon. So the pigeons... Secondly, Julius Reuter, from Reuter's news agency, started his news service with them, pigeons. And three, Cher Ami, an avian member of the US Army Signal Corps, received the Croix de Guerre in World War I after completing a mission with a bullet in his breast. Although not mentioned, he also had a leg almost severed. How do they find their way? Decades of studies show they use just about every clue available. Birds can see the Earth's magnetic field, but no one knows what it looks like to them. It's been suggested by researchers in Germany that this sense relies on quantum mechanics. That is, the birds detect something in the eye happening at subatomic levels. Have a look at the site, etc. Uh, .com slash warbirds for some very interesting information. Thank you, Owen. It bears repeating, and I did. From Daniel, Daniel Halor, he says, uh, "'Yesterday morning, last week, I was on the tractor, "'moving dirt, listening to your program. "'One letter got me thinking about agriculture and what we do. "'I'm a passionate irrigated cotton and grain farmer at Dalby. "'I'm second generation, have a young family, "'and I'm about to take over the family business "'through a long succession process.' We've just been through the best two years in our family's history. High prices, good yields and plenty of water. Well, too much at times has allowed us to achieve this. It's been a very positive period, but at times incredibly challenging with bog tractors and concerns on whether we're going to get the bumper crop off due to too much rain. Funnily enough, it's now gone incredibly dry and my concerns are now about reducing costs and trying to survive this dry period before the next big wet. The reason I'm writing... I wonder if you've got any interest in bringing your program to our cotton farm. We're located 20 k's west of Dalby on the banks of the condomine. I feel this could be an incredible opportunity to promote agriculture within our regional and across Australia. I was thinking late May 2025, as this would coincide with cotton picking. If you're interested, Ian, I would talk to our grower representatives and see if they'd be happy to support such an event. I feel we could invite schools out and make it a great educational weekend for all. There would also be an opportunity for visitors to camp on the banks of the condomine. Sounds great, Dan. It's a long way off. Twenty twenty five. Who knows what's round the corner? I'll put it on my list of things to do and you keep in touch, Daniel. And thanks for listening on your tractor and keep up the good work, I hope at eighty percent chance, I think they say, of El Nino. And just quickly, this again from some time ago, but it's again it's worth repeating. This is from Sandy. Sandy was at Tamora at the time, said The boys, young boys, and I visited the War Memorial in Canberra. Last time I was there, I was three years old and our family had travelled from Cootamundra to see the Queen quite some time ago. That would be 1954 or or maybe 1970, I'm not sure. We saw the Lancaster Bomber there and watched the light show. The memorial is an amazing tribute to all Australians who fought for our country. I always find it distressing to think of how many of our wonderful young men and women lost their lives and how senseless war is. Even more so now when we seem to be selling off willy-nilly all our land to whoever wants it. The land that these men and women fought for. They fought and suffered and died. And here we are just giving things away. Perhaps it should be compulsory for all politicians to walk through the war memorial. Look at the photos of all those who died on the death march, listen to and watch the Lancaster Bomber light show, read about the men and women who died before they make any decisions regarding our truly wonderful country. Not only are we selling off our land, we're also destroying our manufacturing ability and all our fruit and veggie growers. Says Sandy Tamora. Thank you, Sandy.
5: G'day, this is Maka. Hi, Maka. this is David. Hi, David. Um... About a year ago, I called you from Magnetic Island, and we chatted about Indian dosa. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember
2: that, the dosa. Yeah, I still haven't had a
5: dosa. <laughs> yeah, um, this time, we're traveling in Europe. um like for the last two and a half months or so, I've been uh, traveling with my wife, Annalie. My daughter lives in London, so we use London as a bit of a hub, and we've been traveling in a few countries. It's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to tell you about something that your listeners may benefit from. Uh, When you try to take money out of an ATM in Europe, or I think anywhere in the world, these days um, they ask the question, if you would like to be charged in Australian dollars, that means the operator of the ATM will make the conversion of the currency rather than your bank. Right, I I've been taking screenshots of what amount they offer, and what my bank actually charges, and believe it or not, um, you could easily lose ten percent to even up to even fifteen percent in some cases, by just choosing Aussie dollars.
2: Now I wonder why that is.
5: Oh well, third parties get in the middle. Um, and actually their messaging is quite aggressive. They say, Oh, um, if you decline you will have uncertainty what your bank may charge. Um, except and you know, you'll know for sure this is what we'll charge. Uh but the difference I'll give one example. A couple of days ago I'm in Düsseldorf at the moment. Um the breweries here don't take credit cards uh for payment. Right. So I had to get 100 uh, euros out of the ATM machine to pay for the uh, lovely alt beer they have here, mm-hmm. um, and the um, they offered me in Aussie dollars to be charged 193, but the bank actually charged me only 173 because I declined. So I saved 20 dollars in just that transaction.
2: Wow. So uh, it's so easy
5: to uh, click on it, and you're thinking, "Oh, I'm Aussie. I should choose the Aussie dollar option." Yeah, you know, it's kind of natural to think that way. Yep. But somebody's sitting in the middle and taking your money. So, <laughs> Quite a bit of it.
2: Yeah. So there's a there's a button to press for the alternatives. Yeah. Is there, on the ATMs that that was in Finland, was it?
5: No, no, this is, this is in almost every country we go to an ATM machine. Mm. But in shops, when you buy things, in Spain and Portugal, it's very aggressive. In some places, they don't even ask you. They choose that option without your consent, which I, I believe it's not legal. And um, I think the shops or the ATM operators benefit from this. Yeah. They get some kind of kickback. Um, I thought I'd call you and let you know because there's a lot of Aussies traveling, Manka. Everywhere we went, there are Aussies about. In um, Santiago de Compostela, we were in a restaurant. There were about eight tables and five were Aussies. Wow. Uh, Well, (laughs) see,
2: ATMs here, there's there's very few ATMs here now that, uh, that are... Uh, free, don't charge you anything. Most ATMs, you've got to pay two or three dollars to um, get your money out. But and I suppose that's the same thing over there. But but um, yeah, what's what's the solution? Take a whole fistful of dollars with you wherever you go, or, uh, or...
1: never
5: never choose the Australian dollar option
2: uh-huh.
5: when it's offered to you. All right, decline that because the moment you click that, you're up for another ten percent.
2: Wow. That, and that adds up if you're in, in uh, on holidays for a, for a month, doesn't it?
5: Yeah, exactly. Mm, you and, use... you know, in some places, they still don't accept credit card, like in Germany, we found, and uh, you may need to take cash out. And also when you go, you want to tip somebody, so you may want to keep some cash. But in general, we found in most places now in Europe, they take the cards. We've not had to use cash much at all. Uh-huh. Well, there you go. Now, David, um,
2: I don't know whether I should ask you, how's the how's the dozer in, uh, in Europe? Have you had a dozer?
5: <laughs> I was wondering whether you're going to ask me that. You know, I'm traveling with my wife, and um, one of the ingredients in dosa she's allergic to. So we, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I haven't been looking for dosa here when traveling. Uh, but we did notice some Indian vegetarian restaurants in Cologne. We were there last week, Uh, but they're everywhere. Um, (laughs) But I kind of compromised my pursuit of dosa this time, Macau, when I'm traveling with my wife. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh well well you get back to us and you can pop up to pop up to uh what's the name? Up uh, Townsville and the island of Townsville. And magnetic island, magnetic, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah.
5: And, uh, and we should have a dosa uh, together as we, well. We, I am just chatting to Kel. I have given her my number and hopefully we can uh, do that.
2: That sounds good. So yeah, don't never don't take the uh Aussie dollars option, eh?
5: That's it. And, uh, you know, keep uh, keep your money with you rather than <laughs> donate it to the ATM machine. The other thing, quickly, Maka, in uh, Finland, uh, we were in Helsinki. Um, I got to experience the sauna. They call it sauna, the way they do it. You know, sit in the sauna and yeah. then have a cold shower. My gosh, it was a fantastic experience. Um, apparently, all the Finns do it at least two, three times a week. Weak, um, and uh, that may be the reason it's um uh, indexed as the happiest country in the world. Oh, well, we'll have to get one, we'll have to,
2: <laughs> have to do it. Yeah, I know a few of my friends have got saunas uh, at home, and and they're and when you go around to say agricultural field days and stuff where they sell everything from cars to tractors and whatever things in between, uh, there's saunas you can buy, saunas you know, they're you know lovely wooden things and, yeah, yeah quite expensive. But, um, yeah, maybe um, yeah, maybe we'll be a lot happier, David. I don't know.
5: Sounds interesting. Uh, yeah, I think they reflect during the sauna time uh, a lot, and I think that's uh, healthy to have a self-reflection. And then when you dip into the cold water after the hot sauna, it seems to cleanse the skin and generally have very good... Um, you know, wellness prop um, uh, characteristics. I don't know, whatever it is, it seems to be a good process. I and mean, good for your lungs too, I think, uh, breathing in steam. I think that's uh, the other thing. Clear
2: the pathways, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. I think you're
5: right. Good yeah. on you, Dave.
2: Lovely to talk to you. Like,
5: uh, I've been listening to your podcast. We follow you all the time. You do a wonderful job. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. We'll see you for a we <laughs> Will do. Thank yeah. you.
4: See ya.
2: Terry's in... Uh, where are you, Terry?
4: I'm in Evans Head, uh, near Ballina. Yep. Uh, just, uh, oh, I'd, I'd say about uh, 12, 13 degrees at the moment, getting a beautifully cloudless day, heading for a lovely day for motorcycling.
2: Oh, right. So you're not from Evans Head...
4: No, no, I'm up from Sydney mm. uh, up for a big motorcycle uh, meeting for the, call well, the Triples Rally, which is the old British bikes from the mid seventies, mm. and uh, we've got fifty-six bikes up here, and uh, I'm just one of them, and uh, we've got some some people come from Western Australia, some people, one chap even come over from England to, to to come to this rally.
2: Well, and what do you ride, Terry?
4: An old BSA mm-hmm. uh, Rocket Three.
2: Gee. And uh yeah, so there's uh, quite a few people there, mostly blokes.
4: Oh, yes, but there yeah, but but five of them brought their wives along mm. long-suffering wives.
2: Long-suffering wives exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you headed for today, Terry?
4: Uh well, yesterday we were at uh um a casino and uh today it'll be sort of like another sort of like a, a smaller uh, run than than yesterday. Uh Sunday runs always a, sh- a shorter run. This, this thing happens every year, and uh, well, uh, my wife uh, is back home in uh, in Sydney. It was her birthday. She thought it was too long to come up in the back of a bike for seven hours.
2: She's probably right. Now, what's it called? This rally? What's it called?
4: It's it's the uh, the triples rally.
2: Triples rally.
4: Three three-cylinder three uh, old British motorbikes, uh, Triumphs and B.S.As.
2: All oh, right, okay. Well, um, yeah, enjoy yourself, mate. It's, uh, what's it like in Evans head this morning? Beautiful.
4: Ah, uh, beautiful. Not a cloud in the sky.
2: All right, mate. Okay. Uh, anything else to report, Terry?
4: Did you... Oh, well, I'm a poet. You <laughs> want to be bored by terrible poetry. Okay.
2: No, no, no. No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> All right, Terry. Good on you, mate. Nice to talk to you.
4: Okay, thanks, Macca. Thanks, Have a nice
6: mate. day, bud. Bye. G'day Macca. Yep. This is Darren. Hi Darren. Uh, yeah, here you go, mate. Been yep. listening to you for since about ninety-eight. I was on a mine listening to you then, mate. But we um, I'm at the Leichhardt Falls there between Burke County and Normanton. We're on our way to work. Mm-hmm. Me and my offside of Lockheed. Um, we're doing the Ergon Power Line on a grader, doing the access line along the power line, clearing it. We've done about or well, 400 Ks at the moment. Is
2: this a new just power line or that, an existing power line? It's just got to be cleared underneath it.
6: Yeah, existing, mate. It's, mm. um, well, it gets done every, I don't know how long they do it, four or five years. So we've got, we've got about 600 kilometres to do ahead of it, like wow. to finish it. Um, but we're based at Burketown at the moment. Uh, just ringing up to tell you, like, I'm not from this area, but I'm, Sort of from the east coast near Cairns, but the water what's come through this area this year has just been amazing. I've never, I couldn't imagine the water what comes through here, like the debris. Like you can be in the middle of nowhere and there's debris on trees probably five foot high, and you wouldn't even think the water had been there. Uh huh. Like, yeah, it's amazing. So.
2: So, does her, um So you're clearing under the access lines, which they have to do because uh, there can be sparks and stuff from those high power lines, I assume, and that starts fires.
6: Yeah, they got to get in the checker of macker. Um, the lightning hammers them a fair bit. Like you'll come along, and the pace has just been completely like someone's put a bomb bomb in it. Wow! From the lightning, and mainly the grass, the grass around them. They um, catch on fire a fair bit, and they they can't get along. The checker mate, especially after the, like the wet season, that it's yeah it's yeah it's been pretty washed out. But we've got a pretty good gig, mate. We um, see a lot of wildlife. Um, yeah, just no one really, nobody around. Like we we've gone through about eight big cattle stations up here, seen a lot of different country. Um, we come through a section here. I wanted to bring up. Um, there's a lot of wildlife up here. Beautiful. But there's a big stretch of um, black soil plains, and there's probably been about seven eight plain turkeys being killed along it, and all what's left is remains is the feathers and a few bones, but I'm not sure, but I reckon it might be a big cat. Wow, um, yeah, so I' don't, there's a lot of cats, but yeah, I don't know if they're involved evolving to be able to take on a plain turkey, but whatever's killing them. This is like a, bu-
2: a what, what we call a bustard.
6: Yeah. 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 Sort of, yeah, just your plain turkey, mate, your wild turkey. Yeah. yeah,
2: they're lovely, lovely things too. Um, Yeah, look, and isn't it amazing, Um, you blokes like you uh, will probably be in for a lot of work because one of the great, um, one of the great, uh, what, talking points around the bush in Australia at the moment is, is all the new power lines, the p- poles and, poles and power lines that are going in that have to be cleared under so apart from despoiling the environment in terms of how it looks with all wind towers and and uh and poles and wires they have to be cleared underneath them like you're doing now and that's going right across the so there'll be a lot of work uh unless they revamp what they're doing but um Great areas of uh, bushland will be cleared underneath all those power lines which are going across. This is the new, uh, this is for all the renewables.
6: Yeah, we try and do, like when we're doing it, uh, we don't try and minimise the impact on country where it's been washed out and that, you know. We put different accesses in so we don't make it any worse, you know. We're pretty Mm. pretty that way inclined, you know. We sort of look after the country as much as we can, but. Yeah, it's amazing, Macca. The the power, like the poles, it's it's unbelievable. The, the length of it and how many poles and where they run and what you know. It's yeah, just to feed these big cattle stations and little towns up here. It's quite amazing. Yeah,
2: I'll say, Darren. Um, so you'll be uh, tell us where where Leichhardt Falls is exactly because I've never been to Leichhardt Falls. And is there a falls? Oh, it's is a, yeah, go on.
6: Yeah, back in a beautiful spot. It's um seventy K's east of um Birktown between Normanton yeah. and um yeah it's been oh the huge floods been amazing. They spent a, or two or three months just removing the sand off the crossing before they could get across it this year. But the turret being up here now by the groves they camp camp right on the falls. Um yeah, it's a beautiful spot. You do you can swim in some Shallow Pills, but like anywhere up here, mate, you don't jump in the water. Um,
1: <laughs>
6: nah. it's, yeah, lovely spot, mate. We, yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, just ringing up, mate. We've been listening to you for a lot of years, and our highlight on the weekend is Saturday with HG and Roy on the footy show. Then we, straight thing, when we jump in the car at 5.30 in the morning, we've got macaron. on. So just ringing up to say... Yeah, mate, you're making our weekend, and we love your show.
2: Well, thanks, Daz, very much. It's great to talk to you. I'll have to get to that Leichhardt Falls. That sounds like a wonderful place, mate. And uh, and uh, yeah, you see, you you see stuff, and you know, you're on the ground and you see things that none of us ever see or know about. So it's great to talk to you, Darren. It really is, mate. And uh, so yeah, you no,
6: know, just like I say, mate, the water up here this year. Like I've seen a lot of floods in my years, but I couldn't imagine what it was like here at the beginning of the year, you know. These people, you know, saying that they don't get the funds and that up here, I fully agree with them. You know, the road the to Burktown's Town's washed out. And, you know, I don't know if the council's got the money to do it, but, yeah, it's amazing, the water. I couldn't believe it. Good on, Jazz. Lovely to talk to you, mate. All right, mate. Good talking to you. See you, mate. Have a good day. See yeah. you, mate. Bye.
1: Maca, it's Linda from Bundaberg in Queensland just ringing about the sweet potatoes you were talking about. Oh, yes, Linda, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you. That's good. Um, we're farming sweet potatoes in Bundaberg. Um, probably about 75 to 80% of sweet potatoes that are consumed in Australia are grown in this area. Uh-huh. Um, we have many, many different varieties. Um, the thing that's limiting to what gets put on the supermarket shelves is what the supermarkets choose to take,
2: probably yes so um, Tell me.
1: over the years we 've had a lot of really nice tasting sweet potatoes that probably have gone would go a long way in society, but um, because they 're not accepted by the market and by the chain stores, that 's sort of the end of the road for them.
2: Wow, can you sell them to little shops and stuff, but I suppose if people don 't know about them, yeah
1: most well of... they do. I had a few varieties that I used to take to the local markets. And um, it's just not really commercially viable to go down that track, Macker.
2: Yeah, exactly. I suppose you can you can grow them yourself at home or something like that. But if you want to try and make a living out of growing sweet potatoes, because did you hear the the young bloke talking about sweet potatoes? And, and yeah,
1: yeah, I've been listening this morning. Yes, we always listen of a Sunday morning.
2: And he came from uh, he grew up in P and G, uh, and he said the variety of sweet potatoes over there. And I suppose he grew up with them, and so. And then you get to Oz and you can get to, I don't know, two or three or four varieties in the
6: supermarket? Yeah,
1: that's, that's, that's true. And a lot of times we have people that come from different countries here and they say our sweet potatoes are not as nice or not as sweet. But that's because in Australia we consume our sweet potatoes 365 days of the year and they're fresh, freshly dug and eaten sort of within one week, two weeks. Yeah. Whereas in all the, most of the other countries in the world, New Zealand, everywhere like that, they cure their sweet potatoes. So they have a very short growing and harvesting season. Mm-hmm. So they put them in sheds and they heat them up and they cure them, which changes the carbs to sugars. Mm-hmm. So they, have, they taste different because they have been stored for a long period of time. Wow. And in Australia, we're eating fresh sweet potatoes all year round.
2: Yeah. Well, Nella, I like sweet potatoes, but... but um as Mark said, you don't know what you're missing, really, but that's what he was saying. Well, there
1: is. Macca, we've had lovely varieties. Bonita. Bonita was always one of my favourites. We tried and tried to get that into the market, but when you chain stores and those sort of people won't accept them, well, there's just there's no point of it, is there?
2: I suppose not, Linda. I'll come and see you in Bundaberg sometime. How many acres do you grow?
1: Oh, macker we've got about... 500 acres all up, but we only probably plant about 120 acres in sweet potatoes.
2: And uh, you're making a living. Is it? Uh, what's the market like? All right, very up
1: and down. But at the moment, it doesn't matter what commodity you're growing. All the farmers are sort of everything's just come to a bit of a standstill. We can't work out what's going on. But yeah, everyone's everyone's um, finding it a little bit tough at the moment.
2: I think it's COVID. That's what I reckon it is. I reckon. Oh, co-
1: Macker, I don't know that that. I think it's more you fast food chains that are sort of pushing pushing against us a fair bit. I think you don't ever hear about many of them going broke.
2: No, you're probably right too. And as uh, our mate Pete just said at the Emerald Markets, nobody wants to cook anymore. They're all, uh, it's all, they all go and buy food. Um,
1: very true, very true, Macca. You enjoy you. your day, Macca.
2: Thanks, Linda. Good on you. Okay,
1: Bye. thank you. Bye.
7: Oh, hello,
2: this is Gary. Hi, Gary.
1: I'm in
7: Perth. Um, You were talking about racing pigeons. I thought I'd ring up and have a chat.
2: Yeah, tell me.
7: Uh, well, I've had them for 53 years. I was, uh, it was in two races yesterday. We're just waiting for the last two to come home with, well, when the sun comes up here. Mm. And uh, I don't know what else you'd like to know. But <laughs> well, fairly,
2: well tell, uh, me, tell me for a start... When they come home, they stay out overnight, do they? And what do they do?
7: Well, what, what's happened is uh, I sent nine to this race and seven of them came home. Last one came home just before dark. So we're hoping the other two are going to come home when the sun comes up.
2: Well, the bloke I spoke to, and that was a little while ago, said that he lost, what, 30 or 40 over a, over a period of some weeks? Um, was oh. it 20 weeks or something like that? How many did you, you lose?
7: Uh well I've I was in two races yesterday, spent four to one race and they're all home and seven to the other nine to the other and seven off are home. Yeah. So hopefully there's you know, um unfortunately there's, you know, way too many falcons and whatnot around.
2: Yeah.
7: Idiots are breeding them and letting them go. But um Is
2: that true? They're breeding falcons and things and
7: Yeah, yeah, there's there's people who think they're endangered or somehow and the numbers are, you know, ask anyone in race business, the numbers are increasing exponentially. Mm. I've got three here with holes in them. But it's uh, just, you know, they're, they're finished for the season, they just sit there and recover. But the next year, um, my losses haven't been too bad this year actually. They're...
2: And uh, yeah. the other thing you said that uh, they might be flying over silos and they see some Feral pigeons down there, so I think, oh, I'm a bit tired, I'll go down there and eat some wheat, and, and they end up staying well, possibly, there and don't come home.
7: Uh, possibly, but uh, it was certainly not my experience. When I uh, when I worked on the bins, I was, took um, particular notice of this and didn't see any with rings on. Uh-huh. So you've been... Sorry. on. A lot of people don't understand the difference between a pedigree racing, p- racing pigeon and a feral.
2: Well, tell us. Uh,
7: well, it's, it's the same as the horses that you find racing in the Melbourne Cup and the brumbies out in the outback. They're not the you know, same species, but that's about where it ends. Yeah. And how much does uh, a racing
2: pigeon cost you to buy or breed?
7: Uh, well, I paid to breed it myself of probably about $20. Um, I bought one youngster last year for 410 And And... Uh, and this is very popular
2: overseas, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's out
7: of out of sight. There's you know a million fanciers in Beijing.
2: Um, and they are like. not breeding um they're not breeding falcons and things, are they over there? No, no. Nah.
7: But well, you know over there they're allowed to do something about it. We're just we just have to sit here and take it. You know the authorities won't let us do anything about it. So.
2: So, Gary, you've been racing pigeons, did you say, for 50 years?
7: Yeah, 53.
2: Mm. And and it's very popular still in, in WA and around Australia?
7: Uh, not, nowhere near as much as it used to be, but uh, when I was a kid there were six houses in a row in my street that all had pigeons.
2: And lofts and things.
7: Yeah, and,
2: and now I'm the only one. Oh, well, there you go. Well, uh, Gaz, and whereabouts in Perth are you... I mean,
7: I'm, I'm in Wembley, a place called Lake Munga, if anyone knows where that is.
2: And how many pigeons do you have? About 80. Uh-huh.
7: See, that'll keep you busy, Gary. Yeah, now that I'm retired, there would be a godsend. It just keeps me, you know, gives me something to do.
2: Yeah, so what, you pick, you grab your pigeons and you take them. Where do they routinely race to and from in, in WA?
7: Well, I... Mainly up the north coast. Uh, yesterday's race was from place, uh, it was a place—a place called Galena, which is where the Murchison River crosses the um, mm. northwest highway. There's nothing there except the parking spot. And then the the other one was from a place called Nerrin Nerrin, which is seventy k's further up the road. Uh huh. So right, roughly five hundred k's. Wow,
2: Gary. And good then, on yeah. you. I'll catch up with you when I come across to Perth, which I hope to do in the next month. Okay, so i um... well, well, yeah. I'll come and see. Okay. I've will come. got your number. We'll come and see you, okay? Okay, thanks a lot. Good on you, Gary. Bye.
7: See you
2: later. I'll tell you why I live where I live. Sonia says, thank you for reconnecting me with the pen and paper. Long-time listener, first-time scriber, says Sonia Tilbrook. Why do I live where I live? Honestly, it was the closest place to go when my marriage disintegrated around me. At the time, I lived on a pastoral property in the Gawler Ranges of South Australia. Port Augusta, shining jewel at the top of Spencer Gulf, was the place I landed on both feet with my nine-year-old son. Port Augusta sits on Bangala country, nestles up against Nukunu land, embraced warmly by Uriyorta, or more recently named the Flinders Ranges. Port Augusta is a regional city that is also the crossroads of the country, travelling west, you pass through Port Augusta. Travelling north? Yep, you pass through Port Augusta. And of course, vice versa. From a history as a bustling port, bringing in camels for transport, shipping out wool from pastoral properties, the history of this resilient community is rich and colourful. Today, the community proudly displays its stunning sporting hub, and you can't help but see, as you drive into town, the gorgeous Arid Lands Botanic Gardens. And that's my place of peace and reflection, and the manicured Gladstone Square in the centre of town is a place where people gather, celebrate, and soak up the sun of which we have plenty. But why do I live here? I could have moved on years ago, but the beautiful jewel of the North keeps me intrigued, always changing, enduring, and reinventing itself. I just hang around for the next version of itself, live in the dream. A town whose industry relied on rail and coal and the now defunct powerhouse to a town surrounded by wind farms and solar panels. Worth staying to see what comes next. Thank you, Ian, for allowing me the chance to tell you why I live where I live and continue to stay. PS The days of beautiful stationery appear to have left me, so it's Spyrex notebook, which has been ripped out <laughs> the pages ripped out, and purple ink for me, says Sonya Tilbury. Good on you, Sonya, it's lovely. I love it. Hi Maka. Like you, I too am very concerned about the loss of biodiversity and indigenous species of flora and fauna in our suburbs. My mum's garden in the Melbourne suburb of Brighton was visited by a number of species of birds, including eastern spinebills. It's my memory of being a kid. There was an eastern spinebill sitting on the fence. Gonski now. We also had geckos and various species of invertebrates in Brighton. I planted out the nature strip with local grasses, flax lilies and other local species. The garden was a mixture of native and exotic shrubs and trees, including a snow gum, which we bought at a local indigenous nursery. This beautiful eucalypt species is, or was before European settlement, distributed widely in Victoria, outside alpine areas. Oh, the beautiful snow gum. There you go. Funnily enough, says Jenny, branches of the little tree in Mum's front garden were used in Princess Mary's of Denmark. Wedding bouquet. It's a bit of a long story she's got in brackets. You should have told us. We've got time. After the house was sold after her death in 2016, the whole place was, of course, bulldozed, and I haven't been back since. I believe most of the land is now sitting under concrete. I live in Little River now, in Victoria, on an acre. I couldn't bear the thought of living somewhere without room for a native garden and little birds. It seems that much of our natural heritage is being swallowed up rapidly by concrete and bitumen, and residents have little say in the issue. Many local councils have plans for urban forests and can see the importance of trees, open space and biodiversity to our health and well-being. However, state governments are now taking over planning powers from local governments to enforce infill development and further urban sprawl. That's a story right around Australia. Jenny. Developers are reaping the rewards of these policies which result in ever-increasing land prices. So affordable housing appears to be a disappearing dream for many of us, and social inequality is becoming worse. I'm not sure where our democratic principles have gone, says Jenny Epstein. And the problem always is people. More and more people. They've got to be housed somewhere. You can't blame developers. It really goes back to how many people you want to come into your country and over what time period. If you rush everybody in, it's like all the decisions you see now that are being talked about in Australia, they're all being rushed. Everything's being rushed. And, of course, everybody gets their nose out of joint. And Jenny says, P.S., I thought you might be interested in the attached Planning Democracy Conveners report discussing how and why we've got to this dire state of environmental destruction and the efforts of community groups to intervene, says Jenny Epstein from Little River. And finally, this is right on the course, as my economics teacher would say, from Sue Olson, she says, My grandparents moved from Red Hill in South Australia to Port Lincoln as new owner-managers of the Port Lincoln Hotel back in the horse and buggy days. My father, a returned soldier from World War I, was farming. Returning from the horrors of the Western Front, he had no ambition to travel or go anywhere else. We lived on the seafront at peaceful Tumbie Bay alongside the jetty. We've been there. We didn't know be there. As long as we were home before dark, we were not in trouble. Swimming, pony club, bike riding and hanging out filled our days. In this small rural community, trust was taken for granted. Everyone knew everyone. Now, my husband and I have retired in Port Lincoln. This city sits on the eastern side of Spencer Gulf. Sheltered waters and a huge harbour offer anchorage for overseas grain boats, fish factory boats and, more recently, cruise ships. The city is very alive and constantly being renewed. Increasing numbers of visitors, both national and international, add to the holiday vibe. In my grandparents' time, sailing ships and catchers graced Boston Bay. Flinders named surrounding bays and places, however, Baudin, the French explorer, also named this harbour Port Champagny, just two months after Flinders. Air Peninsula's gross domestic product comes mainly from agriculture, with aquaculture being a large employer. Climate is usually perfect, long, cool, damp winters and warm, lazy summer days. We've travelled overseas, but love the homecoming. Familiar places and faces are rewarding. Like many beautiful places in Australia, the challenge will be to retain our natural flora and fauna in the face of budget-driven development. He spoke a book. Reflecting back to school days, late 50s and early 60s, we had plenty of school teachers, GPs who lived their whole lives looking after us, They were family GPs, knew not only us, but all our extended family. Local hospitals delivered our babies and houses were adequate and enough. Growing Australia big has changed the comfortable lifestyle to one of increasing anxiety and fear of missing out. Despite having faced interest rates rising from 10% to 23% in the late 80s and other daily hurdles, I have lived in the best times, says Sue Olson. Sue, that's right on the course, as Bill Blakeney would say. And yet... We just go on, headlong, rush, rush, rush into everything. If you'd like to write to Why I Live Where I Live, Post Office Box 9994, Sydney 2001. I especially like to hear from people who are living in high-rise in the big cities on our east coast and west coast. They're 20, 25 stories high. Are people living in those because of convenience or necessity or what? Let me know. Post Office Box 9994, Sydney 2001. And that's Why I Live Where I Live for this week.
8: Oh, g'day, Maka. It's Zoe here from um, Sydney, updating you on the Maui um, wildfires from last week. We spoke at length to you, and we really appreciate your time.
2: Uh, Yeah, Sally, people were asking where they could donate. Have you got an an idea?
8: Yes, I do. Um, Now, I've done a lot of um, talking to our friends, our Hana in Lahaina itself, and um, she, she suggested Feed the People Maui Fund. Um, is brilliant. They're actually um, giving 10,000 meals per day. So all these renowned chefs are coming into a hub area, I think it's south of Maui, and doing up all these amazing meals and actually even delivering them to people, which is just incredible what they're doing, um, which is a great organisation. Then you've got the Red Cross America, which um, we know what the Red Cross does. They just do amazing services. And then you've got another fund called Maui Strong Fund, and they're the ones that are virtually directly going to the people that have been displaced. Um, There's no sort of middleman, there's no marketing and all these things that associate with a lot of funding and charities. So um, she strongly suggests those through charities to know that these people are going to actually get what they need.
2: And I suppose if you go online, you can find those too. Um,
8: That's really easy, really easy online and then you just click the donate button and you can just donate so it's they're, they're, it's a really good cause and we know from oceans apart that we can be helping those people in, in desperate need the the toll is going up of the unfortunately people that are perished and she she's got a friend that works um, in that terrible area where you've got to try and identify bodies and bones and stuff and it's pretty pretty bad you know what I mean because it was yeah. actually burnt, you could see to the ground. So I just wanted to update you on that. My all husband's right. to go in the next few months just to help with it all, mm-hmm. um, which would be wonderful, just to give a helping hand over there. But um, I thank you for your time. That's all I right, so for the... Australia and the generosity, I really appreciate it, and your time too.
2: Thanks, Sally. Good on you. Thank you for that.
8: Take care. Aloha.
2: Bye. Aloha. It's uh, Bob. Is it? Where are you, Bob?
8: Uh,
3: morning, Mac. I'm between Narrogin and Mori, heading hmm. up the Newell, Just coming back from the 50th commemoration uh, in Canberra. I'm a Vietnam vet. I was there in 1970.
2: Uh huh. And and what was that? <laughs> that, that was in uh, in Canberra the other day, uh, last Friday.
3: Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it was quite moving, actually. Um, bit sad because um, the guys I served with, there were four of them from my rifle section, and. Uh, we're all a bit decrepit, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was 53 years ago, so I suppose um, that's to be expected. Yeah. Yep.
2: Did, did you see them down there?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: And and was yeah. there a big crowd there?
3: Well, the, um, everything seemed to be booked out. Uh, I stayed at a caravan park outside of Canberra, but the other guys were in a hotel in town and it, it was chockers. But the um, biggest problem was finding somewhere to park and then... Walking from there to the uh, to the ceremony, um, yeah. I, I was called up in 1969 as a teacher. I was teaching at Gundawindi, not too far from here, actually. Hmm. And uh, I went from teaching a class of 45 year five kids to um, in in 18 months' time to patrolling in Vietnam. Quite amazing.
2: And did you to- and and you said you're in the rifle section, so you. Were you trained to be a, a, what, a marksman or something, were you?
3: No, no, no. Uh, A rifleman is just an ordinary infantry soldier. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I tried to get into education because I was a teacher, but the army wasn't having any of that. I ended up in infantry because that was at the time where where they needed soldiers.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, I suppose this is a reflective time for a lot of people. And there was a lot of little ceremonies around Australia in various places at, at... at um yeah people held their own ceremonies which is good i suppose and and people came to commemorate people we had one this morning about a young bloke who was 17 who went and i think he was dead at 18 and uh uh killed at long tan and yes. yeah one,
3: one of the one of the guys that was killed at long tan i went to school with in Downlands, Toowoomba, mm-hmm. a bloke call frank Top. frank was killed in the first 10 minutes of the battle that, that well that's um, the, that's
2: the fellow that's the fellow that they had a thing for it more was it? Where was it at? Hellidon, I think. Uh...
3: Yeah, Frank's buried at Hellenden. Um he, I, he was in my my class at Downlands in sixty one, sixty two. Downlands a boarding school in Toowoomba. Mm. And in in those days, I was thirteen years old. I was about four stone, ringing wet, and I copped a bit of bullying. But Frank, for some reason I never understood, he he stood up for me on a few occasions, and then he kind of disappeared out of my life and. Um, I was in Helden. um, I had a job in education in, in Toowoomba and I had to represent the regional director at a funeral and uh, I was at the um, funeral, looked down and here's a headstone with Frank's name on it and that was the first I knew, that was about 2003 and that was the first I knew that uh, he'd been killed at Long 10. Uh, but look, Michael, I bet that I was you,
2: confronting too.
3: Uh, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit. But um, one of the reasons for calling you is, I don't know if you've heard of a group called Nasho Fair Go.
2: I have. Yeah, I've mentioned it a couple of times, actually.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, those blokes, I feel very sorry for them. I mean, I I did quite well out of Vietnam. I got a a rehab scholarship. I ended up going to uni. I ended up getting some qualifications. I retired as a principal. And none of that would have been possible without the rehab course. Now, these blokes... um, the guys that were called up and didn't go to Vietnam, you know, the one in 12 of us who were called up, about 16,000 went to Vietnam and about 40,000 were called up altogether. All they didn't go. And uh, they had their lives disrupted. Uh, they were sent to different parts of the country. They had relationships destroyed. Uh, they were supposed to get their jobs back at the end of the two years. They sort of did, but in some cases they, was, they were sent to places where um, they really didn't want to be, you know and quite a few of them have suffered quite badly and I'm okay I've got a gold card when I turned 70 because I'd seen operational service I got a gold card and my health is good fortunately a lot of these other other guys who uh, didn't go to Vietnam uh, the best they can get is a thing called a white card which which looks after them for um, mental health and cancer and that's about it and I don't think it would it would cost the taxpayer a great deal of money just to include the few that are left now and that, that are falling off the perch you know, week by week and to have a gold card just you
2: know, exactly. to
3: see it through for the rest of their lives.
2: Yeah. Bob, I think it's a scandal. I think um, you're exactly right. They're, they're the. Um, I was just like, I thank my lucky stars every day that I wasn't called up for, for that. Not because I didn't want to serve it. I don't want to serve my country because I do. But I just thought it was most unfair that some were called and others weren't called. And as you say, the whole total lives disrupted. And just a bit like the Vietnam or anybody who goes overseas and, and sent there to hold rifles and try and shoot people and stuff like that, they come back and sometimes they're pilloried and, and attacked. And, I mean... Uh,
3: we, 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 we were... I, I was... I ended up going into teaching kids with cerebral palsy when I got back, which probably was a great rehabilitation for me. And I had a fellow teacher come up to me and say, oh, you've gone from uh, from making spastics to teaching them. No. And what she meant, meant was that, you know, the, the old yeah. baby. And uh, yeah, that that really knocked me around that for a while. It took a while to kind of come to terms with that. It was mm. a very strange, but that's how it was back then, you know.
5: Yeah, exactly. Fortunately,
3: fortunately we've moved on and, and that was evidence. That was evidence. Uh, at the ceremony,
2: you know, it, it was very important, I think, for, for the guys that were knocked around. Good on you, Bob. Thanks for, okay. thanks for your call. Good to to you. Bye. Yeah. When I was in Mullumbimby the other day, I met Michael. <laughs> well, come and listen to Michael's story. Your name is? Michael. I live in
0: Mullum. I've been here for nearly 50 years. Originally coming from Cornwall, I came surfing with two friends. We're all still here.
2: Is there surf in Cornwall? Yeah,
0: there's uh, <laughs> a bit cold, though.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: I bet. I, I met Australians in Morocco and Americans getting away from the Vietnam War. This is in the 60s, late 60s, and so that gave us the uh, impetus to get out here and go to Noosa and come to Byron Bay and do our surfing.
2: There was no conscription in England?
0: Uh, for well, no, for there wasn't, no, no. But we became as um, permanent residents, so... Uh, but we didn't get called up. They didn't trust
2: us. (laughs) (laughs) And why did you pick Mullum, or how did you end up in Mullum?
0: Well, Byron Bay was a little hectic, so back in Mullum uh, you could buy land cheaper. People would call us hippies. We weren't really hippies. We were just alternate. We just wanted to do something different. We've settled in. Now we have a whole new era of people here now, which Mm. is uh, interesting. I'm the old bloke now. (laughs) It wasn't long before we all got along with the... Locals here because we were planting trees, we were in the dirt, we were doing putting fence posts in, you know. Whereas the new, most of the new people get my generation to do that for them because you know they want someone, a man to do it for them. Yeah, well, someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, someone knows what they're doing, that's right. They love the the scenery and that is really nice, but actually getting down and, and of course, the floods really sorted a, a lot of people out, you know. The reality of a lot of rain, yeah.
2: So you've been here for 50 years. Obviously, it must be a good place to live. You like it?
0: Yeah, oh, it's fantastic, yeah. It's, Mullumbimby is such a, an accepting place. We have people here that have gone around with their bum hanging out of their trousers, talking to the solicitor with the suit on and so on. So everyone has got along fairly well. You can't ask more for that.
2: And you're still pretty close to the coast. You still go surfing?
0: Yeah, mainly swimming
2: now. I'm getting a bit old for
0: surfing. <laughs> mainly swimming. Do you get back to Cornwall? I haven't been back for about three years now. My family are whittling away, so um, I will go one more time, probably. <laughs>
2: and what's the water temperature in Cornwall? About 9 degrees? That, yeah, guess. 11, I
0: think. You <laughs> <laughs> help me. A real man to go surfing there. Yeah, you've got to really want to go surfing there. When we first started making our own wetsuits, we walking around like Michelin men, you know. It was so, too rigid, but it's much better now.
2: Blake said to me the other day, he says, there's not enough wetsuits in the world to get me in the water. He was talking about Port Phillip which is about the same. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be cold. And, Michael, what do you do? What have you done? can't go surfing all your life. What no, you no. So, early
0: in the piece, I went to Brisbane and trained as an acupuncturist back in the 70s. And uh, I've had a, a clinic in Byron Shire for the last 40-odd years. Now I'm just around the corner here. Doing a couple of days a week, it's really comfortable.
2: Beautiful. And that was in the days when you came. That was sort of an alternative therapy. Wasn't it was it? really even though it's hundreds of years old.
0: That's right. It was very alternative. So now even people feel that's a, a little bit magic. You know, how do you know that? And my excuse is, well, I've got three thousand years of experience behind me. <laughs> <laughs> good on you, Michael. Good on you. Thank, Thank you. you.
2: It's good to see you. Yeah. Yeah. You too,
9: mate. It's uh, Gordon from Bundaberg. Hi, Gordon. just wanted to bring you up. I'm the uh, officer in charge of the road policing uh, up here. huh. just wanted to have a bit of a chat about Queensland Road Safety Week that starts on Monday.
2: Right. should be Australian Road Safety Week, but go on, Gordon.
9: Well, we've had the Australian one, so this is a Queensland one. Mm-hmm. It runs from Monday to Friday, and I just wanted to give a heads up to everyone just to drive extra safe on our roads. Uh, as we know, our fatalities are up by way too much this year already. Um, just listening to you earlier about the motorbikes and that, and I totally agree. It's, it's getting very dangerous out there for a lot of the motorcycle riders around um, as well as the general public. Um, like I said, the fatalities are up way too many this year.
2: It's, uh, when I, I sit here in the morning and tearing around and, you know, just doing the program and stuff all over and, and the news is on in the background and invariably every Sunday morning I hear of a motorcycle death or an accident, um, and I, I used to ride a motorbike, and I still got it. I haven't ridden it for—I've had a license for forty years, I suppose—but I haven't ridden it for uh, a long time. And and I just—I just noticed that. I, and I don't know what the stats are, Gordon. Um, you know, it, it, are they on the in, increase? But there have always been motorcycle accidents. But it seems to be—I don't know. This a lady wrote to me because I mentioned something about that you know, two months ago, and she said, Ian. I think it's a couple of things. She said, firstly, there's many more cars on the road now than there was, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And she said, the attitude of drivers seems to have changed. I don't know if maybe that's just because of all all the cars on the road. I don't don't know, Gordon. You may may be able to fill us in.
9: Oh, Mac, I agree entirely with that. Um, We have a lot more cars on the road. People are a lot more impatient these days. Um, and as the lady said, um, it's just not as safe to drive or ride bikes these days like it used to be. I'm a bike rider too, but I haven't ridden for a long time for that reason. Mm. I drive around the highways and around town all day, and the near misses and the amount of crashes we have, because they're not accidents, they're crashes. Mm. I mean, that was cleared up a long time ago. Um, And again, look, I'm in the Wide Bay area, and we're up 12 deaths this year already, fatalities. It's just tragic. Um, It just doesn't seem to be getting any better. Fatigue seems to be a really big one for us, especially on the highways, sort of where we're based in, in the Wide Bay. We're sort of halfway, we you know, we're a long way from Cairns and we're four hours from Brisbane, so people travel a long way and they think they can get a little bit further and they want to go a little bit further and a little bit further and they get tired and all of a sudden, you know, tragic stuff happens. And
2: You've but, got to... <laughs> you, the, the thing about riding a motorbike um, um, teaches you, um, well, it should teach you uh, unless you have an accident, Um uh, is is how to avoid I used to try and avoid cars and and drive away from cars because you never know what they're going to do and and then one day my dad who I didn't think cared or whatever he he used to say and I he'd say I'd stay up till two in the morning to hear your motorbike come up the driveway when I was <laughs> when I was yes. young but but what riding a motorbike teaches you is is to defensive driving as they call it but you just tend to steer away. Now, this this mate of mine, I met up the street the other day and he was walking along, Sam, young Sam, well, he's not young, he's about 50, 55. Um, he just got, to, this. A, a lady just turned in front of him in a four-wheel drive and he went straight into her because he wasn't, you're not expecting that, I suppose. But I reckon you've got to expect everything. You've got to expect anything untoward happening. So you've, and, and you can't drive like that all the time because, again, there's more cars on the road and, you know, 40 years ago, you could drive along in a dream, if you know what I mean. There wasn't nearly yes. nearly as much traffic, So, but now you can't do that. So no. I think riding a bike teaches you that, but, gee, um, it's it's changed a lot, hasn't it? I, I wouldn't like to drive a bike now.
9: No, again, I, driving around every day, you see it every day, the amount of near misses and the amount of accidents or traffic crashes that are happening for those reasons. Um, and it's not only that, like we're in Queensland now, so obviously we're getting a lot more grey nomads coming up through the highways, a lot more caravans. A lot more drivers are getting impatient. There's a lot of road works. Um, they do silly things to try and overtake when they shouldn't. So it's just, we're just really urging people out there just to just to be patient, drive to the conditions, mm. and, just and... so that everyone can get there safely. That's all. It's, um, the roads aren't the best up this way. Once you get off the highways, you know, the, the roads aren't as, aren't as good as down south. So... Again, we're just a roads down
2: here aren't much, mate. After no, the, after yeah. the big rain event, bang! You guess you'd be driving along, bang! Potholes up, everywhere. Potholes everywhere. Someone should write a nice pothole song about potholes. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're everywhere. Gordon, how long have you been in the on the highway patrol and doing this sort of thing?
9: I've been in about four years now. I've been in the job twenty years, but um, even in the last four years, I've noticed the difference in the traffic, just the amount of cars on the road. It's just crazy, and um, again, it's getting busier. Everyone wants to move to Queensland, and um, <laughs> we've just got to be patient. <laughs> we've got the and same amount of roads with a lot more cars than we used to have.
2: Exactly, and I, I was talking about rushing a little while ago. We're talking about rushing, and and you, somebody said to me, um, "We're we're rushing. We're rushing great things of moment, like um, renewables. There's a rush to renewables, and the voice has been rushed, in my opinion. The whole yes. but but." We're in a rush on the roads, and that's that really affects us day to day, day to day. And I, I don't know how we get ourselves to slow down. And we've got mobile phones; we're looking for messages every minute. Oh, what's in? Uh, I, don't oh, I, agree. I I
9: agree. I agree, Mac. Look, um, another big thing for me is look. I've got some radical ideas out there, but maybe maybe we should have logbooks like truck drivers do. Yep. A truck driver has to stop every now and yet, and now and then. As you know, and yet mm. someone can drive from Cairns to Brisbane without stopping. I mean, what's the difference? Exactly. That's just one thing I've got. Uh, caravans, to me, to me, you should be trained and have to have some sort of training to be able to get a caravan. You can be a 18-year-old kid with no experience and just drive into a, a caravan dealership, hook up a caravan, and tow a five-ton vehicle out on the road with no training at all yeah so look there's things I think we really need to start looking at um that I think will help in the end but that's a long way off because that's obviously not just the Queensland thing that's an Australian wide thing um but I just think it's something that the politicians and the, those in the uh, a lot higher up than me need to start looking about because
2: and it starts with us yeah. really Gordon it starts with it us each one of us to say well slow down and and just beware because it's a much more dangerous place than it ever was, I, I believe. I mean, and, and and there's drugs and, you know, you hear accidents and the bus, the bus thing that happened the other day. I mean, they're inexplicable. Right. They're inexplicable. You can't understand, that, but yeah. they do happen. So we've got to yeah. sl- try and slow down, especially on the road, because it's a dangerous yeah. place like life.
9: Yeah. And again, Queensland Road Safety Week this week, there's going to be a lot of stops on the highways. So there's going to be a lot of police on the road. We're going to be out there in force just... You know, stopping people, talking to them, making sure they're doing the right thing. So please don't be impatient with us. We're just trying to do our job and stop the fatalities on the road.
2: Good on you, Gordon. Good luck, mate. I'll bump you. You're based in Bundaberg, are you?
9: Yeah, I am. And just a quick one while you're talking about motorbikes. There's a vintage motorcycle rally or show in Bundaberg. starts Monday, goes all week. Apparently there's 100 bikes in town. Some of them are 100 years old. They're the only ones in in the world. There's people coming from all over the world. Uh, They're based at the Bundaberg precinct and they're going to be out and about on our streets. So, again, wow. yes, people can just keep an eye out because some of these ones need to be push-started. They, You know, they're, they're very old bikes. So, again, we're just um, hoping everyone will uh, enjoy the bikes but also take care and let them um, do their thing for the week that they're here.
2: So will they do a, a bit of a parade through Bundy, will they?
9: They're, they're everywhere, apparently. I, I'm just talking to some people in the, in the next couple of hours, but they're going to Woodgate and they're going around Bundy and they're going to Childers and all around this area. There's little rides every day. They'll have support vehicles with them for those that don't break it. But um, yeah, I've just got one driving past me now, Mackie. You'd want to see it. It's like a push bike with a motor in it. (laughs) Very funny, but uh, very good to see. Apparently, there's a couple that are the only ones in the world that are here, so they're worth a lot of money.
2: I'd love to see that, um,
9: yeah. Yeah, it's here for the week, so it starts on Monday too. Good
2: on you, Gordon. Good talking to you, Maka. Yeah, you too, mate.